As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I wondered what he'd refer to, whether he'd refer to, to fatigue or the amount of games they play, which, you know, he, he does a lot. But no, he, he questioned their mentality, which, which, is, which is concerning, really. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the top and Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and I'm joined this morning uh, by The Athletic's Jack Pitt-Brook and Tim Spears. Hello, Jack. Hi, Danny. And hello, Tim. Hey, Danny. Listen, I want to thank you both particularly uh, this morning for being there because you um, you could be waiting, I know, at any moment to join England's 55-man World Cup squad or be asked to be the new Home Secretary. Uh, so I do understand that it's great that you can be here on the podcast. Um, before we get on to events at Old Trafford, and yes, we must get on to events at Old Trafford, um, I want to uh, give you an update on the hunt for who is playing the mid-2000s indie music um, at the at the new stadium, I thought I had a breakthrough. Uh, somebody got in touch with me and said, "I know the person. She's called Amy Lauren." And so I got in touch with Amy um, through the various electronic means at our disposal, and she was a charming, b a DJ, c works at White Hart Lane, but D is not the person we're looking for. Amy, it turns out, um, plays. Uh, music in the Stratus East and Stratus West hospitality suites, not into what she describes as the Stadium Bowl. Um, she's already got the jargon for this. I asked her what she plays. She says uh, she plays house music, often house music that she has produced herself. So if you want to go to Spotify and look up Amy Lauren, A-M-Y Lauren, uh, she has helped me by ruling herself out of my inquiries, but still, and someone out there must know, and I have to say I've got I've got Pete Abbott, the stadium announcer, on this, and we will find out. And I hope in the fullness of time, um, I better whisper this because other podcasts are listening, that we will get to uh, actually interview and Jack will press very, very tightly on the man's chest to find out exactly why and exactly what he hopes to play in the future. Well, you might, um, you might, you might have to go higher, I think, Danny. Like, at Wolves, the, the, the MD was choosing the music a few, a few years ago. I love so to hear that. I love to hear that. He, he, he brought in a DJ. Um, he, he was a massive 90s house fan. They started playing Café Del Mar before kickoff, which they still do. Um, right. So we might have to we might have to go to to, to Levy's level here. Is, is he a fan of rather dredgy nineties and noughties? I, I think it's more like to be Joe Lewis, isn't it? 
Let's find out. That joke landed well, Dan. Did you see their faces? <laughs> um, look, we will. We will find out. Uh, thank you, Tim. We will find out. Which takes us to um, Spurs' 2-0 defeat at Old Trafford. That is the scoreline. Those are the bare facts. In hope of not leading the jury, I'm going to keep my mouth shut for the next few minutes and let uh, Jack and Tim have their say about what they thought went on last night in Manchester. Tim, you were there. What did you make of Spurs? I was quite alarmed, really, just at how they conceded control of the game. I mean, it was quite, it was quite, a, it was, it was a fairly even start. And then United turned up the pressure and turned up their press. And Spurs had no answer tactically, but it was, it was more about very basic errors everywhere: misplaced passes, shanked clearances, not tracking their runners, and this just went on and on and on. Um, I think United had their most highest ever number of shots in the first half without scoring since records began whenever that was Um, and then you thought Spurs came out early for the second half noticeably a minute or two uh, out earlier than United and and you're thinking there's going to be some mentality change here or some formation change or some tactical switch and then it was more of the same for for 90 seconds and United scored and and that was it really and I I felt like they were never going to get back in the game I felt like they gave up at two goals down like like they had at Arsenal I felt Conte gave up with his with his five subs even though there's still time to score two goals it was it was all a bit it was all a bit depressing really um you know he he spoke about their mentality after the game we struggled against Chelsea because we do 92 minutes but Chelsea dominated the game I want to be honest, and uh, with Arsenal we lost, and today against United uh, we lost, and uh, uh, for sure when the level is high, we are going to struggle. It wasn't just that for me; it was just it was just basic basic errors all over the pitch. Um, they lost their heads. Uh, I, th- I thought it's the worst performance that I- I've seen. Uh, I've only been, I- only been covering the club for two months, but it was worse than the Arsenal game for me because they were, they were so they were so inept. And United were, were, were good. Ten Hag said it was their best performance under him. Sure, they were good. But yeah, they, 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 they were good. But but you know they, they, they weren't world beaters. Oh, I love and the fact. I feel I feel a bit of jealousy towards you there, Tim, when you said that's the worst Spurs performance I've seen. Hang around, mate. <laughs> Hang around. That's all I'll say. Jack, it was it was just front to back. Apart from Lloris, nobody did themselves justice. Absolutely great. To be yeah. honest. I think it was. I think it was definitely the worst performance under Conte. Uh, I completely agree with Tim. I thought it was much, much worse than the Arsenal game. At least in the Arsenal game, I thought Spurs had a kind of identifiable plan, and it was only you know details of execution that went against them. Was yesterday. There, at no point really was it apparent what the Tottenham plan was. Obviously, they had the extra man in midfield, but they never, they never once got a foothold in the game. I thought everyone was awful, apart from Lloris, who may, who did make some good saves. Um, so tactically, physically, collectively, uh, individually, it was really, really poor. Like obviously, there were those, you know, the three bad defeats to Chelsea back in January, but that was the, the Conte had only been there a few weeks when the, when when those happened. No, that's a different circumstances. Conte's been there. Right. Conte's been there a year now. He's had two windows, and to go into a game like this and play that way, I thought was awful. And you know, it's not even it's not even the, the fact that they lost. You know, they lost. Remember, back in March, they went to Old Trafford and they lost three two. And I, I'm pretty sure I actually complained about the performance at the time. But they were so much better that day than this day. You know, they were really in that game. They were arguably they create, a better team. They scored. They were the better team. They scored two goals. They created lots of other like moments and opportunities that didn't quite come off. 
Because yesterday there was nothing at all. I thought it was, I thought it was really awful. Okay, thank you both. Um, now I, I want to talk about the performance, but I don't want to talk about the performance in isolation. I want to talk about it as part of a pattern. Jack, you're absolutely right to say that the coach has had a year. Um, that allows you to train the players, get some more of your own players in. But of course, it also allows the opposition coaches to react to what Spurs are trying to do or not trying to do, depending on how you look at it. Um, I detect pattern here. Now, uh, boss at the Athletic um, asked us all to keep calm heads today because he says no, but none of the big six ever win. They were, you know, away games at the big six are very difficult. But Spurs have played four decent teams away from home so far this season. They have lost three of those at, at Lisbon, at Arsenal, at Manchester United, and gained a last-minute equaliser at Chelsea, which we all enjoy hugely while recognising that the uh, the team hadn't done particularly well. Let me help you here with something. This is why this is one of the reasons why they're losing these games. In the three games in the Premier League away from home, Spurs have conceded 66 shots at goal. 66. You are going to lose 90% of football matches where you're getting an average of 22 shots at your goal. Um, I, I don't. I, you can bring me any chart you want, and you, Tim, can stand up in front of that kind of space invaders machine you've got for showing tactical moves and all the rest of it. But if you're being, if your goal is being peppered, you're going to lose these games. It's about attitude. You go away, and it doesn't matter where you're playing 3-4-3 or 3-5-2, as I said on the previous podcast. If you're not in a cast of mind to try and damage the opposition, if it's only about containment, and I know they are, oh, we'll catch them on the break. Well, will we? Anyone sure about that? As Tim said, the game was littered with misplaced passes. It's not good enough, with all due respect to the manager, to say, oh, well, you know, we, did, we didn't pass them very well. But it's a pattern now, isn't it? We had a spell, particularly under Pochettino, where they were very decent away from home, but that's because they were a very decent team. And I wonder here whether it's pattern, Tim, or levels. Um, I mean, I'm probably right about the pattern. You can't, you just cannot concede that much possession and shots at goal without losing. But it could just be that we overrate Spurs occasionally because, you know, that he is pulling down these points at a very, you know, still more than two a game, mostly. Mm, I was thinking that last night, and I was I was I was adding the shots up as well in the second half. Um, yeah, sixty six shots. An XG. Oh, of, is that, in, is that someone, someone's actually backed up a statistic I did rather than just check and say, "Danny, you're wrong. You've made that up." No, um, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, I, wrote, I, I wrote it in my piece last night. It's uh, online for people to read today. Um, and for, for XG fans, the XG conceded in those three was five point four nine, which is again pre- pretty sizable. That that comes from conceding control of the midfield, which I wasn't expecting because you, you you've got your beefed up three in midfield. They started with good intentions. Um, the kind of visual memory I'll take away from Old Trafford last night was Conte, who I think had just been asked what do you make of the performance, and then <clears throat> went on a sort of a two two three minute answer. And then he started talking about how he'd heard Spurs mentioned as as title contenders at one point, um, and he and he started laughing to himself like like. Not not hysterically, but but it was quite a prolonged open mouth laugh um, at the at the mere prospect of Spurs being title contenders. I, d- I don't know anyone who's actually called them that, by the way. Nope. But still, it, it was it was it was just quite a startling image for for, the, for this head coach, a serial winner, um, to be laughing at, at the mere prospect or suggestion of that. It, it was it was one of those where he wasn't he didn't he wasn't angry not not in public anyway. I'm sure he I'm sure he handed out a bollocking in the dressing room, but. On the touchline, he was hands in pockets and just looked dismayed and despondent, really. And that was the same in his press conference. 
and I wondered, I wondered what he'd refer to, whether he'd refer to to fatigue or the amount of games they play, which you know he, he does a lot. But no, he, he questioned their mentality, which which is which is concerning, really. Whether that's a public volley to 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 kick the players up the arse, I don't know. But if he actually thinks that, and there's a mentality issue with the players, and also perhaps with the club, as he was sort of hinting, then there's there's no quick fix there. You know, you, you don't change those mentalities overnight. So um, there's perhaps. Um, a bigger and longer job than than he maybe has anticipated here, or maybe is prepared to do. We'll see. Uh, Jack, p- p- pattern or levels? I don't think the le- I think the level of the players is fine. You know, the, the the core of the team are all pretty good players. You know, Luis, the guys that play every single minute, Luis, Dyer, Romero, Hoiberg, Benson, Kerr, Kane, so on. They're all good players. You know, they all play for top international teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I want, but and yet yesterday, all of them except for Larice were really, really poor, and I wonder if in part it's. Be- I was speaking to, let's say, a sort of tr- trusted source on these matters last night after the game, and his theory was that you know there is certainly enough in the squad to put up more of a fight, but clearly you know the big players didn't per- per- perform at all, and my source's theory on this is that that was caused by the setup, mm-hmm. as in the setup convinces the players that they don't have a chance. I mean, friend of the show, Charlie Eccleshare, tweeted last night, hard to spot many differences between Spurs' performance and the approach here from what you would expect from a team battling relegation. Let's dig in, try not to get battered, and who knows, maybe nick something on the break. And I'm generally quite defense-supportive of the Conte method. You are. You know, um, and this idea that you can control the game without the ball and you can concede territory and then use it you know tempt the opposition onto you and hurt them but to see that i have to say i I kind of is a performance like this does make you agree with the sort of conte skeptics i guess because when you see the team concede that much possession and territory never get a foothold in the game none of the players ever look at all convinced that they can really have any impact on the game themselves you know it's it is very dispiriting I think certainly when it comes to the first goal of the game, because if if Spurs can score first, then they, then they can control and be organised and see their way through a game. But when they concede first, certainly in these in these away games in this very good opposition, the players must think, you know, how how are we going to get back into this? You know, what what's the manager going to do to change this? Are we are we capable of turning it around? I, I didn't see any belief there, and I didn't see any tactical plan to get back in the game last night. Also, on an individual performance basis, I thought that this was the first time that I've thought that the players didn't look like they were really at 100% in terms of whether that's a phys- whether that's a physical or a mental thing, I don't know. But I just didn't see the sort of 100% energy and commitment that you would expect. Now, obviously... You know, I was doing the. I was looking at the numbers earlier. So far this season, Kane has played ninety eight point nine percent of minutes in all competitions. Hoiberg ninety eight point four percent. Dyer ninety eight point four. Benton Kerr eighty nine point six, and Son eighty seven point four. You know, these guys. It's very legitimate for these guys to be tired if they are in, because of how crazy the schedule is and the fact that they're not being rotated. But you know, if you look at the the first Manchester United goal, for example, that starts with Son and Lisandro Martinez going up for a fifty fifty header. And Son basically pulls out of it. And then United win the ball, and then Bruno Fernandes bursts forward, and he shrugs off Hoiberg. 
you know, whose job is to is to win the win these challenges. And I really thought, like, for for Spurs to be losing that many fifty fifties and second balls all day, which they did, yeah, uh, it's not good. It's really, really not good. The way that you know Son pulling out of that at that challenge and then United scoring. You know, what it reminded me of it was when. Um, David Beckham pulled out that 50-50 in the World Cup quarterfinal in 2002. Wow. And 10 seconds later, Rivaldo scored for Brazil. Um, so, yeah, I, I, be, I know that Conte spoke in his press conference on Monday about how he was confident that the players... Um, he was asked about, you know, will the players not give 100% because they've got half an eye on the World Cup? And Conte said, if a player plays with worries about getting an injury, for sure it will happen. Players have to play in a normal way. They have to know they have to give 100% in every game. I wouldn't accept if I see one player avoid a tackle or think about the World Cup. But it's not a problem because I have a group of players who are really top men. Well, I mean, you know, I wonder what he would have made yesterday. Well, look, again, it's down to attitude as you go out onto the pitch. And yes, I do think that the various setups that Tottenham employ leave the players with very little room, and this is deliberate, I'm told, by experts on this very podcast, with very little room for manoeuvre. They have to do certain things at certain times. But let's be honest, what we ended up with yesterday was not 3-5-2, but 8-2. And occasionally 7-1-2 as Benton Kerr, presumably asked to be the furthest forward of the three midfielders, kind of drifted around in an inside right position. That's fine if you've got the ball, but if you don't have the ball, you're just out of position. Spurs were pressed back to, to the point where, you know, the goals were inevitable. The attacking options were very limited. Now, some of that is to do uh, with, if you're going to play that sort of system, which we, we've all been calling for, then the wing-backs have got to play creatively because Spurs don't have uh, a Bruno Fernandes. They don't have an, uh, a Christian Eriksen. So somebody has to do the, 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 the creative work. I'm not saying this is the right answer. Perhaps I would have started with Perisic right and Sessegnon left, but I don't think it would have made a huge amount of difference because, as I say, once, once we don't have the mentality, Spurs, to attack the opposition, you're essentially putting out eight defenders. And I'm going to say it again. That will not work in the Premier League. It might work occasionally against the weaker teams who get a bit overexcited and a bit flighty throwing people forward and Son and Kane might catch them on the break. But over and over again, and people will quote the victory against Manchester City and the victory against Liverpool, um, and I will say in the long run, they will look like um, glitches. They will look like outliers to an overall record that suggests that Trying to play this way in the Premier League, and nobody else is trying to play this way since Burnley got relegated, it's just not going to work. Jack, and the other thing is, it looks so ugly. How bad is it? Never mind how bad Spurs were. How bad they look last night. Yeah, it, they really were ugly. The, um, the the only kind of moment, after the first sort of three minutes, the only few moments I remember them having were, you know, long kick, Kane flick, header to Son. It's, um, and you know, as ever with this kind of football, it's it's... Uh, it, it stands or falls by the results because there's no kind of aesthetic quality to it. Well, there was there was that lovely moment when um, Ben Tancor played a couple of one twos and sauntered his way into the box and had a decent effort, oh, yeah. which was which was really nice. And also, Kane played one of the best passes I've seen in a very long time, which was which oh, that was, was incredible to to Doherty. But yeah, he, 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 interestingly, I was looking at the pass accuracy stats at half time because I thought he'd given the ball away quite a lot, and yeah, he'd, he'd only completed fifty three percent of his passes, which was twenty percent lower than anyone else on the field. It wasn't necessarily to say that he was having a terrible game, but also to do with the options around him. But it just felt like they were they were relying on a moment of brilliance to happen to get, to get them back in the game, really. And 
it also, um, it, Tim, sorry, it also, the, the amount of Spurs players who were back defending the edge of their box meant that Kane always had two two people on him. But also, you're, you're right, it was 8-2, and uh, but because Son and Kane were both playing centrally, so Shaw and Dallow down either flanks had, had quite a lot of room to exploit because there were no wide forwards tracking back. That left Perisic exposed quite a lot. I didn't think he had a great game. You know, Anthony caused him a lot of problems. He showed him inside a few times, which wasn't very smart. He's a good player as well. You know, credit where it's due. Anthony's a pretty good footballer. Um, but, you know, we knew that. We knew Manchester United had good footballs before they took to the pitch. And what are you going to do to nullify them? And more importantly, what are you going to do to hurt them? Yeah, of course. And then, and then, and then, what are you going to do to change it? And and, and again, you look at that bench, and you and you look at those depth issues, and Conte feels un, unwilling or unable to change it with a number of substitutions. I mean, the the fact that they were completely outplayed, completely outplayed, and the game was dead at two 0 with eighty minutes gone, and he still hasn't made a substitution, was was crazy, really. Yeah, that was bizarre. On, on another f- kind of football related point, I thought uh, another way in which this was much worse than the Arsenal game is that. Um, my feeling after the Arsenal game, and I think this is what Conte said, was that the issue was the last pass. You know, they they kind of got halfway up the pitch, and then it all fell apart. Last night, the issue was the first pass. They couldn't get out at all. And obviously, you know, if you have long layhead of Davis, they're better than that. But even Romero, you know, again, another player who I actually think had been getting better the last few weeks. I thought he was appalling yesterday. They couldn't get the ball out at all. And yeah, Man United did press them really, really well and you know were a very, very difficult opponent. Much better than Ragnarok's United in this fixture mm. back in March. But Spurs' incapacity to to do anything on the ball whatsoever was really was really terrible. Even touches, but Basuma's second yeah. touch was, was a foul every single time. It was like yeah. Just 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 couldn't work their way upfield in, in, in any kind of sensible manner. Yeah, well and and mostly didn't can commit enough people to give you an option for, for even when you when Spurs occasionally had the ball under control, um, the passing, even when it was remotely accurate, was to predictable people because they 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 weren't getting beyond the ball. I mean, these to me are the basics of football. But as I say, and I'm going to say it for the umpteenth time, and I will continue to say it until you all get bored me and sack me off this podcast. You know, Antonio Conte is the one who knows about football. He's also the one who's being paid to know about football. But I've also watched an awful lot of football matches, and I just think that if you don't have positive intent, you will get negative result. Not every time, and you'll occasionally get a win somewhere, the ball will go off someone's backside, or whatever it is, um, or a piece of absolute brilliance by Tottenham's two strikers. But overall, this is not the way it's going to be. All of which, um, I'm going to try, try and inject a note, a note of uh, positivity here now. Let me uh, check check's note for positivity. Um, uh, I suppose... Dejan Kulusevski's absence is is allowing to, to allowing us to see just how important having somebody who can link the play is to this team, Tim. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. But his but his injuries is concerning. I mean, um, Jack Jack, you've been to the last couple of presses. Is he suggesting he's going to be back before the World Cup or not? Um, Conte, uh, Conte has not wanted to put a time scale on it, but you don't get a kind of optimistic vibe hearing him speak about it. He his view is always we've got to be patient, we've got to you know, we don't wanna we don't wanna rush him. I mean, because you know, clearly Kulaseski did return to training and then had a setback. Uh, you know, he felt another um he felt that hamstring again, went for another scan. And so Conte's view is we've got to be it's always we've got to be patient, we've got to give him time. We don't want to rush him back so he has another setback. We're gonna we we're only gonna play him when he feels right. Um you know, which is obviously an indication that at the moment he doesn't feel right, and everything they're going to do, they're going to do with the medical department. So, yeah, it's uh, 
the the feeling you get from talking to Conte about Kulisevsky is definitely you know it doesn't it it doesn't make you feel optimistic about his imminent return to the team. I mean, I've I've still barely seen him play to be honest, Danny. But but they they painfully lack that player to progress the ball from midfield to attack, um, both in terms of dribbling and and passing. Um, I mean, I've I've watched most of their games for almost two months now. The times where they've sort of controlled or look good for a prolonged period is 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 pretty minimal you know admittedly I wasn't at the Brighton or Everton games but apart from a bit against Fulham the middle bit against Frankfurt at home it's two, it's two weak opponents there obviously they just haven't really controlled games in a manner that are, that they should be doing for players of their quality regardless of the, of the, of the, of the, of the formation really um, so maybe we have to you, you know your, your question about levels Danny is, is is a valid one I think because I was I, I was I, I was surprised I, I was surprised to hear it's their best Premier League start I've got to say in the end you end up agreeing with Conte you know, it, I need more of this I need more of that I need the other but I, getting the best out of what you do have is the job of really any any coach or manager getting the best out of the players you have at your disposal um I'm not blaming him entirely. I think it was a negative um, outlook on the game, which, as you rightly say, Jack, infected the players. He, he can say, I, I made those substitutions at Arsenal you don't want to get humiliated 5-0. Spurs could have lost 5-0 with the team they put out yesterday. If it wasn't for, yeah. we'll end with a positive. Completely. Hugo Lloris, who was, uh, you know, I don't, age shouldn't matter too much to goalkeepers. Um, and he does make the occasional rick, and I can hear the anti-Hugo brigade all saying it. But... Uh, you know, as a shot stopper, he's a, he's a pretty brilliant goalkeeper, as he proved again last night. Yeah, the the the, the Rick was the Rick was early on, but it didn't it didn't cost them. That was the uh, the the bar of soap save where it kind of slipped through his hands. Um, but yeah, the two there was the one from Shaw's volley where he sort of tipped it over while he was flying in the air, and then the second one was it from Rashford? It's an incredibly strong hand to push that wide. Yeah, that that looks in all the way. That did. Yeah, he was. Um, it, it 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 probably should have been about four 0 on the balance of playing, and it would have been without him. I thought he was um, I thought he was magnificent. Of course, I'm slightly biased towards him, so I thought that the one from Anthony hit the outside of the post. I thought that was him who saved it. Um, slow motion replay showed he was about two foot away from that ball. I I've got to be careful because you want to save the most cruel language for a worse defeat, if not a worse display. There can't be many worse displays. I thought it was pathetic at times. Um, I, look, I'm gonna let, let's have. I'm springing this on the chaps here. Um, let's have one sentence on what they can do to put that behind them and get uh, and move forward. I would just say, try and be more positive. Everybody at the club uh, who is on the playing side, just try and be more positive. Tim, any advice from from what would Wolves do at this? Oh, of course, you've been watching Wolves doing this for years, haven't you? Well, yeah, w- w- Wolves would Wolves would get a Portuguese manager in place and uh, uh, <laughs> see what George Mendes has got to improve them. Um, it's it's I, th- I sort of agree with with you and with Conte, but it's about it's about mentality. I think that's what we're looking at here in terms of positivity and, and belief. You know, as Jack says, the the play the players are good enough. The players are much 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 better than what they showed last night. So you have to ask why they didn't perform. This is already a long sentence, but the, the answer for me is. Is mentality and belief, and that's that's got to come from from the head coach at the end of the day. Jack, uh, I'm going to go the other way and say get Longley, Sessegnon, and if at all possible, Kulisewski back on the pitch because Tottenham are just uh, at the moment they're just getting they're unable to move. They don't have the the tools to get forward up the pitch at the moment, do they? They need to get further. They they need to find a way to get the ball forward and actually start creating things. 
Thank you, Jack. There was a moment, yes, where my my um, flinty old heart uh, was in, almost in tears where Manchester United were pinning Spurs back and Varane got the ball in the inside right position and thrust forward with it to the edge of the Spurs box. And I thought, imagine seeing one of the Spurs centre-halves. Right, well, I suppose Romero goes wandering about, doesn't he, bless him? Um, but imagine seeing the Spurs team set up where the centre-halves were allowed to st- their starting position was a third of the way into the Spurs half. Oh no, you might risk a breakaway goal. Well, we nearly got beat six yesterday, so risk what you like. Um, We'll have a break. When we come back, we'll talk about um, various things, including Conte's uh, contract, McNamara's band, uh, and the upcoming game um, against a team who, according to Jurgen Klopp, um, will one day be ruling the roost. That's Newcastle United. Um, Please bear with us. We'll try and cheer up. Um, You're listening to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Tim Spears here as well as Jack Pitt Brook. Back in a minute. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hello, James Richardson here, presenter of the Totally Football Show. It's a show about football, and sometimes it's about life, and usually it's about an hour long. This Thursday, it's particularly about the midweek Premier League games, Ten Hag against Conte, South Coast Derby dust-up between uh, Bournemouth and Saints, and the story tradition of the all-West London-Brentford-Chelsea clash. I'll be asking dumb questions. Duncan Alexander, Carl Anker and Ahmed Schubel will have clever answers, and you can find all of that by searching for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. to the view from the lane uh, Tim Spears is here so is Jack Pickbrook from The Athletic They're both from The Athletic of course and I'm Danny Kelly um, we're going to try and cheer up a little bit I hope uh, but it's, it's appropriate to be down about the Manchester United performance um, well, everyone can get beat at Manchester United but it's the performance we were worried about Do you know Danny um, I'm just going to interrupt you very quickly because I was just look, trying to look up a stat during the break there as to when Spurs last faced that so, 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 sorry, we, we've said we're going to be yeah. positive this half, right? But I, I do like yeah. I do. You know, I know we like a little bit of a quiz. No, 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 nobody, nobody believed me. Just carry on, Tim. <laughs> so Spurs yeah. faced. So Spurs faced twenty eight shots last night. That's the most they've faced since they faced thirty hmm. for a game in the two thousand and nineteen twenty season. Stop, let Can, me guess. So in the two thousand nineteen twenty season. Oh, this yes. is good. This is a good game. <laughs> I bet the listeners will be screaming it. Um, would you like a clue? Because that makes it that makes. Is it there a London team? It's not a London team, but the oh. clue is Spurs didn't actually lose this game. Uh, it was at the start of the season. You better tell us, Tim. 
It was uh, it was two two away at Man City. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Um, Thirty shots that day, I, I, but they drew. When, but yeah, two two two. And when I, I and I hadn't seen your piece, Tim, so forgive me. Uh, when um, I announced the sixty six goals in the three away games against decent Premier League teams, or, you know, the best of Premier League teams, I, I also made a point that it was only the Queen's death from from that number being a hundred. Um, if we'd gone to uh, the Etihad, it'd Fair probably point. be a hundred from those four games, wouldn't it? Um, listen, we played McNamara's band there. Now, all kinds of mysteries continue to unfold here. I cannot find a recording of that version of the song, which, of course, has the lyrics to the original song about a real band in Limerick in Ireland um, changed to deal with the Spurs team of back in the day. We're now beginning to suspect that it was com- especially commissioned by the club, and I'm going to find out about this as well. Um, in the meanwhile, though, the, the song has at least had one very positive effect. Well, uh, during the week, a man called Garrett Abel, who lives in the United States, got in touch with me, and this is what he said on Twitter. You've talked a lot about McNamara's band, lately, so I thought I'd share uh, that song, uh, share the fact that that song is the reason why I'm an American Spurs fan. Um, my very Irish grandfather taught us several Irish songs as we were kids, and McNamara's band and Irish Eyes are the two that stuck. In 2013, says Garrett, I fell in love with soccer and decided I needed to pick an EPL team as my uh, as my own. I didn't want to bandwagon into United or Chelsea, etc., but wanted to find some connection to a team. After researching for about six months, able researches for six months, I found out that the Tottenham plays McNamara's band um, at their matches and immediately decided that would be my team. I checked them out, realised they just sold their best player brackets, bail, boo, um, but were fifth in the table, so it was good that they weren't uh, the top bandwagon team, but they were good enough to have fun cheering them on. I've loved being a Spurs fan ever since and can't imagine passing down the love to, uh, to any other team to my kids. Hopefully the love of Spurs will continue on in my family, just like McNamara's band and Irish Eyes for years to come. Thank you for all the team uh, on the podcast. Come on, you Spurs. Thank you, Abel, for that. Um, Array. A thin ray of sunshine, an otherwise gloomy morning. Um, this this feels, Jack, to me like um, trying to talk about British government policy. Every twitch on the spider's web is amplified, to, so it sounds like the crescendo of a Wagner opera. But Conte's contract, um, what do we know? He, he, I think he said, didn't he, that after these three games against um, Manchester United, Newcastle and Sporting, he would sit down with the club he didn't say to discuss his contract, but once again, to discuss the club's ambitions. Are we, are we moving forward with this? Yeah, so Conte obviously has uh, his, his, the contract he signed last November expires at the end of this season. Uh, there is an option to extend. What I think is likelier is the offer of a new contract. Uh, there was a re- you know there were a report in the Daily Telegraph last week saying that Conte, the club, intend to start contract negotiations with Conte. I believe during the World Cup, uh, I believe that report to be broadly true. Um, I I know that in Italy yesterday, yesterday I think some reports emerged proposing, su- suggesting it might be a three-year deal with a pay increase for Conte from fifteen to twenty million a year. Uh, that I believe is also the case. That tallies with what I've heard. With what I've heard, you know, I know that you know. Obviously, last night was really bad, and mm-hmm. there are some concern, or some people have concerns about the way Tottenham are playing. Equally, there is no doubt in my mind that Daniel Levy wants to keep Conte at the club with a new deal, and 
I think Conte will probably be doing what he did at the end of last season, which is, you know, dangling the possibility that he might he might not he might not want to stay because that that's how, you know, these negotiations play out in public. He wants to know that he had he wants to know that Tottenham have the same ambition to win things that he does. You know, that again, this is something we heard a lot from Conte in the second half of last season. I think I'm broadly optimistic about the chances of a, con- of a new contract being agreed. Uh, I don't know about a timescale for that agreement, but uh, yeah, m- m- my sense is is fairly optimistic on this. Um, my only question about to, to him, you know, he he goes to these negotiations, as you rightly say, armed with his questions. Um, my question to him is not wouldn't actually be. Um, well, we all want to win things, Antonio. What are you going to do about it as, as head coach? The only person in the room who can do anything about this is you. Um, but my question would be, do you really want to do this? Because again and again and again, Tim, I, he gives the impression, and it might just be for um, moving the board forward, but he, want, he, want, he wants to have a little bit of mercy on our Spurs fans, actually. We're already having to endure suffer ball, I get that. But the constant hint that this might not be as good a club, a good enough club for him, um, I personally, and I'll be told by James Moore for the revealing this, I would occasionally give him a little kick up the backside as he passed down the corridor, um, past the, the photographs of, of great Spurs players past and present. He's got to want to do it. He, 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 gives, he gives the impression sometimes that he's doing other sufferance, that he's chained to a radiator. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. I think we've discussed this before, that he, he does come across sometimes that he's above it I think and there was his whole rant about people don't know what they're talking about and you know he asks questions of the of the club publicly sometimes but then he also talks about you know being at the early days of, of a project and needing three transfer windows at least to sort of to 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 to, to, to earn parity with, with with the clubs above them so he's sort of contrasting messages there but I I, I know exactly what you mean it's 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 not great to hear a manager say that it's pretty unusual to hear a manager saying that and um is he happy here i mean that, that it's 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 that's that's impossible to answer but i think he's obviously been very well paid um he obviously sees potential for spurs and i think he he thinks he can get them to a level where they are challenging for honors but that's that's going to take time and i guess the question is has he got the patience to stick around for the two or three years that that, that he'll need to do that um, and I understand it's difficult. His family still live in, in Italy, don't they? And he has to yeah. go back there to to see them and they come over here to see him in his apartment and all the rest of it. I understand there are difficulties, but it, presumably he knew all about these difficulties in advance of signing up with one of the great football clubs in the world. Um, and He's occasion- not going to change. He's no, not going to change. And nor am I, Jack. So, um, He's 53. Uh, like he, he, right from the start of his negotiations with Tottenham, back you know, these are negotiations mm. in May 2021, not the ones yeah, in the, the fir- autumn of 2021, yeah. where he first turned down the job. That's what he said to Levy. I, you know, I'm not going to change. You know what, if, you're gonna, if you appoint me, you know what you're going to get. Okay, well, as I said, a mixture of optimism there about him actually signing a contract, which I want him to do. Small writing underneath that, provided he actually wants to do the job. Um, he, he he loves doing the job, you know. Look at him after the Everton game, you know. As I think, I'm sure this is something I've written in the past. But to, if you speak to people who know Conte, they say that winning, you know, competing and winning for him is like a drug. He is completely addicted to winning games, and that's why he was he was so happy after the Everton game. And yeah, they were rubbish against United, but they're going to win more games than they lose this season. That's obvious, and I think that. 
you know, with the with the Premier League being as big as it is and Tottenham, you know, slowly heading in the right direction, I do think he is broadly happy at Tottenham and would like to continue in the job. Good. And of course, he gets the bonus. He can go and see Tyson Fury's next fight, probably free of charge if, that, if he so wants to do. Um, which takes us, let's move forward then um, and to the next game, which is against Newcastle United. Sunday, 4.30 kickoff. Um, they're not there yet by any means, but uh, just to widen this out to the general world of football, um, I was bewildered this week with the speed in which the debates changed. I mean, I'm not that bewildered. I understand how these very powerful organisations work. But Jurgen Klopp's perfectly sensible observations about the three nation-state teams in Europe, Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City and Newcastle, were quickly turned by Manchester City's very powerful publicity machine into, oh, he's a xenophobe. Now, obviously, he's not a xenophobe. Um, it, it, that, that is distraction tactics. It's interesting, and I've got to be very careful here because we all work within the media. The outburst after the Saudis came and took over uh, Newcastle United, um, of course, has abated. Um, and the questioning of Manchester City's um, organisation is rare. There are journalists who do it, and they get plenty of grief for trying. Um, I was a, I have two different platforms where I was able to um, largely agree, hugely agree, with what Jurgen Klopp had to say. Jack, take away club loyalties, whether you're a, a supporter of Paris Saint-Germain or Manchester City or Newcastle. This is a problem for football because, if nothing else, as I was saying, they're far bigger. The investment funds that run these these clubs, it's far bigger than UEFA, and UEFA are paralysed in the face of them um, because they're terrified of being taken into the courts forever and ever are men. And, if I might finish this thought, one of the unintended consequences of the Super League is that, say, Manchester City's um, owners are now much higher up the, 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 the running of UEFA. So the idea that there's any authority above these clubs is being weakened by the day. It's not good for the game. No, it's very bad for the game. I think it's very difficult to disagree with what Klopp said last week. You know, Klopp, in fact, was not, you know, if you read the actual content of what Klopp said, what Klopp said, I thought was utterly uncontroversial yep, and obviously true. Uh, I think that the the response of Manchester City to that has been completely scandalous, embarrassing and insulting. I think that to... The the idea that it is xenophobic to criticise Manchester City is, yeah, completely insulting to re- real xenophobia or to anyone you know to to anyone who re- who reads the words that were said. I think that some it should be asked of Manchester City: Is there any criticism of Manchester City, their owners or their methods, which you would not? try and bat away by describing it as racist or xenophobic. I genuinely, I don't know if they could supply a proper answer to that question. I imagine they probably couldn't. Um, and yeah, I just think that I think the whole thing has been awful, uh, but equally not that surprising. And I also think you're right that the one of the huge structural fo- problems that football has now is that City and PSG are two are richer and more powerful than UEFA. You know, if you can't have a situation where the regulator is scared of the people that they're meant to be regulating, and yet clearly City and PSG are far more powerful than the forces which are meant which are meant to regulate them, and that is in in a nutshell the problem with having clubs owned by um, you know resource rich dictatorships. 
Yeah, I mean, and when you say um, uh, you know, how quickly they, they turn the, the debate around, um, and if is there any um, opposition or criticism to them that wouldn't be classed as xenophobia? If you look at the methods they've had in their own country to uh, dissuade all kinds of uh, criticism and opposition, you can see they are very practiced at this. It's, it's one of those areas where you see that in the case of City and PSG, and I'm sure that you know th- this is clearly already becoming the case of Newcastle, being their being state owned doesn't just mean that they have the you know they acquire the money of the state and the funding of the state, but they also acquire some of the characteristics of the state. Absolutely, you know, the, in terms of their in terms, I think primarily of their willingness to throw their weight around, the extent to which they their kind of thin-skinnedness when it comes to criticism, the way that they don't want to accept really any form, I think, of regulation or of or of sanction. You know, they are, yeah, they are adopting the, the characteristics, behaviours, attitudes of the states which own them, which again is, you know, un- underlines why it's, you know, it's terrible that football has got itself into this position. No, yeah, abso- absolutely. And, you know, there's, you know, if we bring it back to Newcastle, you know, there's, there's mm. no doubt that, that, they are there. They are coming, you know, and that they they, they will be the next Man City or Chelsea. I mean, some of the things I was hearing about in the summer in the transfer window of them basically blowing teams away before they'd even spoken to clubs to try and buy them. So basically, the, the, the suggestion made to me that that they would set personal terms with the player or the player's agent um, first and foremost. So then other clubs just wouldn't even have a chance of, of, of competing, you know, let, let alone for transfer fees. We're just talking about wages here. So I know that it appears that they're doing things nice and sort of slowly in the summer. People were expecting them to do more in the window. But, you know, Conte talks about three three windows for Spurs. Well, three windows for Newcastle. And they, 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 they could easily be competing with Spurs or overtaking them in the, in the table. You know, that's how quickly they'll be able to do it. I do think it'll be slower for Newcastle than it was for City, simply on the basis that the Premier, like they don't, City had a, deg- or, I mean, Chelsea really had first mover advantage and then City had what you might call second mover advantage. And the fact that Ch- Saudi Arabia are doing this almost 20 years after Bramovich bought Chelsea means that the Premier League is already, you know, it's, it has already been so stratified that even with all the money of the of the public investment fund, it is harder to make those jumps. Like I don't expect, I'm a bit, I think it will be a slower rise up the table for Newcastle, but ultimately, yeah, clearly they are heading in that direction. Um, it's only Tupney eight you're worth. I'm not sure you're right, Jack. I mean, we stand to, you know, now that this podcast is so, so established as the best out there, no doubt we'll be doing it for years and years and years together. Sorry, Jack. Um, I suspect it will come a little bit quicker than that because I was looking at their bench last night. It was the best of their players from a year ago are all on the bench now, all of them. Um, So now is probably as good a time as it's ever going to be to play Newcastle because every time you play them, they'll be a bit stronger. Um, Could he revert to, uh, to, to, because he wants to, to 3-4-3 and play Lucas Moura wide right? Or even, God forbid, Brian Hill? Perisic. Perisic. He said on the press conference on Monday he was thinking about Perisic yeah. in the front line, which I gather is where he plays for Croatia. I, I'd rather do that, you know, because that way you get Sessegnon in the team as well, who I think has played pretty well this season. Well, Sessegnon has that pace and that directness that 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 that, that they lack from so other, so many other areas of the field. Um, I, I, I came into this Spurs covering role thinking that wing that wing back was a strength for them, but. I, you know, the, the the more the more I watch them, the more that nobody's really standing out for me. You know, I wrote a few weeks ago that 
a fair summary would probably be Doherty and Perisic as, as, as your two first choice. But I mean, Perisic last night, I don't know what you guys thought. I just, he, he was he didn't have any, had anything going forward. I think he had one moment in the box where he sort of got uh, pushed out for a goal kick by Dallow. Uh, he struggled a little bit defensively. He's fantastic on set pieces, and you know that that's that's an added strength for Spurs this season. But otherwise, I don't think he's added enough. Doherty, we know what he can do, but he's limited certainly technically. Emerson Real, knowing product, uh, the numbers are there to, to speak for themselves. And Sessignon, you know, he's, he's very quick and very direct, and I do like him against um, teams that are going to sit in deep. But he's also quite naive, and he runs into a lot of cul-de-sacs. So there's there's major weaknesses with all four of them, really. Jack, you, so, you, saw, you saw you saw something in Jed Spence's two minutes on the pitch. Well, he did a good run. He did, <laughs> he did a good there run. There it is. That's the positive he, from last he, night. He, he got the ball and went on a good run. And then he also he wanted the ball, and he and, ended you know, up at he, he ended up at their touchline at one stage. I guess didn't he's he? been pretty, hung- yeah. I mean, like you know, I'm sure he's been he wants the ball. He's been he's barely he's barely got a touch of it this season. Um, but yeah, that was a slightly lighthearted tweet. But I, I know, do, I know, I am starting to think, and I'm, maybe this is maybe this is just the kind of classic prism of, of a defeat. That the the, the the summer window is looking a bit worse the further you get away from it. In terms of didn't haven't upgraded enough at wing back, haven't got a creative midfielder, um, and I think that the there are issues that were, which were not solved, and I think some people, by which I mean probably mean me, were a bit too. Oh, isn't it great this time with Charlotte and Perisic? Well, we, we, we were both slightly dancing on the ceiling. Yeah. Um, J- James Moore. So maybe I got that wrong. Uh, James was the one who pulled us down and said, "Hang on, does this actually improve the first eleven? Um, listen, listen, I think they've got a squad of very decent footballers there. Um, I'm going to end this, and it, they can start against Newcastle. Um, line up how you like, but try and get forward, pass the ball to each other in their half of the pitch. Um, as you said quite rightly, Tim, last night they couldn't pass the ball to each other in our half of the pitch, and that le- leads to calamity. Um, let's say the sight of Rafa Varane playing inside right, but not accidentally, as you know, as part of the plan for Manchester United. Um, it just showed me that you know. A team with whose players are no better than Spurs is, you can do it. Now, of course, it's easier to do it at home than it is away. And Spurs are at home against Newcastle. Let's see what they can do. Um, it'll be good to see Kieran Trippier back, um, as I think he's very likely to start bringing in the World Cup, the way things are shaping up. Um, and he is, of course, um, part of that line that people are always doing on on Twitter, where, where, they, where they do Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier, and then they go down and down and down until you end up with me playing right back, um, sort of 45 years after I last did so on Hackney Marshes, certainly 35 years. I will warn you as well, there's going to be an extra podcast next week where some of us will be talking to, on the podcast, a genuine legend, not just of Spurs, but of world football. I won't, I'll tease you no more than that, but it's a he. He is a genuine legend, both at the club um, and in world football, and he'll be joining us for the full podcast in an extra edition because we're desperate uh, for you to have a more bonus uh, if we have to talk for half an hour about how bad we were at Manchester United. So listen out for that. I might reveal it um, when I get back to you next on Monday. In fact, I will. And that's it for now. Thank you, Tim. Uh, Thank you, Jack. God bless you all. See you Monday. The Athletic.